This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Headstuff Studios in Dublin, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast about words, Irish, Irish words and words from Ireland. Dara O'Shea is away this week, I am your stand-in host, Pather O'Quivonic, and we have an absolute nerdgasm of, uh, of a show today. I'm joined in studio by Orla Nihul, Orla Diagrit, Kate Milafalcha. Come on, good. So Orla, the reason we wanted to uh, speak to you was this fascinating blog post that you wrote, and we'll we'll get to that in a second, but it involves the realms of fantasy and in particular maybe fantasy gaming. Um, for anybody who's not familiar with the concept of RPGs, tabletop RPGs, could you give us the, uh, the beginner's rundown? Well, tabletop RPGs, which is role-playing games, if you're a total beginner, um generally are a form of collaborative storytelling. They usually involve dice of some kind to add that element of like chaos and randomness that we have in life. So that if you're trying to do something, you roll a dice and the number you get is how well you do it. And in most games, you're trying to overcome challenges and they're normally relatively either collaborative um, around a table. So effectively, it's just a, a more streamlined version of real life that when you run into a challenge, you can actually roll a dice. And if it scores well, you can overcome that challenge rather than having to, you know, face up to it like a, a pretty, human being. Pretty much. There was that great Gravity Falls quote that like only nerds um, would make a game where charisma was a fantasy power you could have. <laughs> Um, so people might be familiar with the concept of role-playing games from from computer games. Um, they might be familiar with uh, fantasy worlds from very popular movies like The Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, um, plenty of others. But what you noticed, and this was fascinating, this really caught our attention here in the vast empire that is Mother Folklore Towers, uh, the vast fantasy empire that is Mother Folklore Towers, uh, you noticed that there was a sort of a disconcerting trend, if I could say that, disconcerting perhaps, yeah. uh, to use Gaelge, or in some cases Scots Gaelic, but to use Celtic languages, to use Irish, to use Scots Gaelic as a sort of a stand-in for fantasy languages. What, what, what first brought your attention to this trope? I think, I mean, I have been a massive fantasy fan since I was really young, and I've always loved Irish-inspired fantasy, Um but I noticed in some of the recent stuff people had recommended to me, especially my American friends, um, there was just 
oh, it's like it used to just drive me bananas. It, like they'd be just be using Irish words and using it like really wrong. And like, that's not even remotely what that word means, <laughs> um, which would annoy me because I'd be like, well, it'd be one thing if this was a really old book. Like if somebody wrote this, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. Pre-Google, basically. Pre-Google, but I'm like, it takes 30 seconds. There is, there is this kind of, there is this thing when you, when you read something that's poorly researched, you just sort of go, right, when was this written? Oh, 1987. Okay, okay, fine. They didn't want to walk all the way to the library and check if the book was there. But like, there's really absolutely no excuse anymore. Is there for, for using something completely out of context and wrong? No, not really. Um, especially not something as simple as like what a word means. Like you're not talking about like, you know, in when I was originally looking at this, I was kind of talking about both language and the mythology, but I kind of dropped, I don't feel as strongly about people using the mythology because I think, eh, folklore is meant to change over time. It is a bit more flexible. There's nuances there. So people might use it badly and I might think, oh, that's bad writing. But it's not, I think, as serious as the sort of carelessness with which people use a real language and act as though this is the same thing as saying like fairies you know it doesn't matter it's equally unreal as talking about fairies as using this Irish language okay I get you so basically they were saying like Irish I can do whatever the hell I want with this because it's basically a mystical thing that is in the ether and how dare you tell me what to do with Irish yeah I mean I have come up against some quite defensive oh uh particularly North Americans I say it around say the the more new agey um, pagan communities, when I tried to explain to them what the word Samhain meant, they really, really don't want to know that it means November. They super don't want to know <laughs> that they're celebrating November because that doesn't sound cool and mystical at all. Like they just, they don't want to know that. And I'm like, the word you're looking for is Iahauna, but they can't spell or say that. So they want to keep saying November. And I'm like, you're entitled to do that. You can do that because like, it's fine. But I want you to know that you're saying the word November. There's, there's some, I, I try, I love mythology. I love mythology. I love folklore. And I've tried listening to a couple of um, podcasts around it. There's one from Heads of Studios, which is brilliant, Fireside, which really, it, it just sort of nails telling Irish stories. It's really good. But I've listened to some from all over the world. And uh, yeah, when they try and pronounce these terms, it's absolutely terrible. The ancient Celtic uh, harvest at Samhain. Yeah. They're like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not Samhain. It's, it's not Bealteen. It's, you know... It's not Lugnasa. Uh, you know, okay, I understand that. Like we've we've now named our months after these ancient festival times. So yeah. we have Bealtaine for May. We have Lunasa for August, and we have Samhain for November. Is is it sort of is it kind of understandable that they would want to go back to the quote unquote pagan roots? And and I and I know we won't get into paganism because no. like it's. But I think it can't be accurate. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. Is, and I, but I think that's the same thing with the fantasy. It's, I think, the same instinct that writers have when they think, oh, they're drawing on something big and mystical to create their fantasy worlds. It's a very similar instinct that I was, like, years ago running up against in these pagan communities. It's the idea of, like, oh, this is more authentic. And I'm like, mm, you don't really know that, though. Yeah. <laughs> mm, like, mm, mm, is it, oh, is it, though? Is it more authentic? Is that what it is? <laughs> So, like, I get you, I get you. So it's like, it's, okay, you want to use the terms. You want to sort of Celtic up your, and I know that there's some good friends of the podcast who will, their eyes will roll into the back of their heads at the use of the term Celtic. But you want to quote unquote Celtic up your yeah. your fan fiction or your whatever, uh, you know, your pagan rights, your new age pagan rights or whatever. That's great. We admire that. That's nice. That's natural. But like, 
you don't really have the authority to say <laughs> my use of this Irish word is incredibly authentic. Yeah, and that's I think the the problem is I mean, you don't notice it as much if it's just somebody's personal whatever. But if they're going out there and they're writing books and and they're publishing going like, "Oh, this is the ancient Irish thing of this." And you're like, "Oh, stop." You know, like <laughs> the my favorite thing was the um the Celtic potato goddess. Now, I think basic history will show you why that might be a problem. I think I just cringed yeah. so hard. I yeah. hurt my spine. I was like, let me tell you what year the potato was introduced to Europe because uh, it was pretty pretty late. It was pretty um, late. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Walter Raleigh has a lot to answer for it. Like, yeah. Uh, that's, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think oh. I'm having an aneurysm. But the, the internet is a wild place. The ancient Celtic goddess of potatoes. Oh, yeah. And I've had, since I wrote this blog post talking about fantasy writers using Irish and Irish mythology badly, this, and now I brought it on myself because uh, I went and I wrote a blog post and I published it and I told a little bunch of people to read it and then they did. It was awful. Um, but then they, a lot of American writers have subsequently started DMing me because I have unfortunately now made myself the authority. Oh, you, yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay. well, have you read this? Is that okay? Have you played <laughs> this game? Is this game okay? Like, if they want me to be this arbiter, I'm going to like look at your game that you like and say, it is all right. You are, you have my permission to <laughs> enjoy my, this game. You have my Celtic blessing. Yeah, I tell you as an Irish person that you can like Pillars of Eternity that I've never played and I don't know if the Irish stuff is bad or not. <laughs> I uh, watched someone play The Witcher once. No, that stuff's bad. <laughs> is The Witcher bad? Is the Witcher no, bad? The Witcher's I like fine. The, I no, liked the, Witcher's the Witcher. Fine. I'm just teasing. Uh, I just want someone to give out to me. They were kind of very, um, very open about like their source material that they were creating this this group of people in the game The Witcher uh, that were like an absolute hybrid of uh, Norse and Gaelic cultures, mm. and I, I thought it was nice. I thought they did. Um, I thought they did a nice job with the architecture. It's a very smooth looking game. Like. Yeah, I actually really don't have a problem with it, to be honest. It's just that it got brought up to me on Twitter about 700 times. Oh, yeah. It's also a popular game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what were some of the most egregious examples of, and we go back to the language, never mind mm. people getting their Celtic festivals mixed up. Although, I, absolutely, one tweet that you got in reply I saw, and it made me almost fall out of my chair, that someone went to a New Age Celtic wedding in the States, and there was a prayer offered up to the Salmon of Knowledge. Yeah. Now, that was a blog post I found about a guy guy who was talking and he'd written this a few years ago uh, talking about the problem of of fantasy um because <laughs> he was he's an irish person living in the states uh about using irish mythology sort of badly in fantasy and you know what is it disrespectful what does it mean and he was writing a very much milder take than me um but he did tell the story of going to this wedding with his kids and his kids starting to like laugh and him having to like shush it because his kids obviously knew yeah. <laughs> what some of the knowledge was and they were like it was like halfway through a wedding they just start like you know, the tooth fairy gets a shout in, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's just like, like you were trying to like shush the kids and like trying to make it through the wedding with a straight face. That, w- that was his analogy, the, the, the tooth fairy. I, I sort of looked at it and said, it's kind of like going to a wedding and in the middle of it, we'll offer up a prayer to Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> or, you know, like it's just, it's, I know that it's a part of our mythology and it's, it's in the, it's in the, the, the medieval writings about Fionn McCool, but it's essentially a kid story that someone has co-opted and sort of used as an authentic piece of... But it's also not, and I think the most important thing is, it's not like a part, even if you take it out of it, like using it as a kid's story, which is the modern use of it, even taking it as as more adult folklore, I mean, it's not like the salmon... The salmon wasn't the... The fish wasn't the important bit of that story. (laughs) It was a tree. So if you're going to pray to anything, surely it should be the tree, not the fish. I mean, it just like, even, even 
breaking well, it down yeah, or the, on or a the fact religious level. Or the fact that there are, there are two dudes in that story that are way more important than either of those. Yeah, definitely. That, yeah. It's definitely whatever you're going to pray to in that story. It's definitely not, not the, the fish. fish. <laughs> <laughs> pray, pray to the blister that Fionn got on his thumb when he yeah, touched the fish. Yeah, it's like the fish was just a coincidence. The fish ate these acorns or cherries, depending on which translation you're reading. And, you know, or sometimes they're hazelnuts. It, it's not. There's something, he ate something and it made yeah. him wicked smart. Yeah, it's either hazelnuts, acorns or cherries. There's like every version is yeah. used. So the, the fish was was not the salient part. No, of the, it was the, the tree anyway. and then the dude. Yeah. So mythology side, because people use it. So, But it's okay. It's okay to evolve that. It's fine. Yeah. Like, you know I, what I mean? Like there's, uh, I'm trying to think of um, uses of mythology that I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, like or be a big fan of. Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson, the lightning thief. Yeah. Inspired by Greek mythology, but obviously totally changing everything to fit it into a young adult novel. Quite yeah. fantastic, lovely. We can put that on one side and we can judge that, say it's good or bad, but it's not really, it's not insulting. No. You know, and even but, the Salmon and Alice thing, the kids weren't crying, the kids yeah. weren't horribly offended or, or damaged <laughs> yeah, by it, they were yeah. just laughing. And so, yeah. you know, I think people need to accept that if you use mythology badly, the people from that culture might laugh at they you. They might laugh at you. It's, it's not offensive cultural appropriation, but you are the subject of ridicule. Yes. And that's fine. And you just need but, to accept that. But cultural appropriation, then, a hot topic, obviously. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the Irish language, we're not trying to, Irish speakers, we're not trying to compare ourselves to oppressed cultures around the world in this. But it is kind of insulting when someone takes, and I'll I'll use one example that stuck out to me from your own blog and your own writing. um, In the game Warhammer 40,000, which is very popular all around the world, people buy these model kits to make up toy soldiers. They paint them. They play big battles on the table and it's an incredibly expensive hobby and I may have wasted far too much of my time as a teenager doing that and not talking to people. Classic, Um, classic. Yeah, but there's a whole fantasy world, a sci-fi world built up around it and a lore and there are novels published and in these novels, someone has basically used Irish almost straight up copy-paste as the language of the space elves. Yeah. The Eldar, the the mystical ancient culture that sort of, they pull the strings behind the scenes, they they travel through the webways and they, they control us poor humans and yet they're just literally speaking in Shanukal. That's my favourite bit is it's not like full sentences, it's just Shanukal and then they're translated wrong and that's, yeah. But... Yeah, so that was one that I that I had I know about Warhammer because I you know do other gaming and I knew a lot of people who did Warhammer when I was a teenager, but I wasn't that familiar except for like the very surface of the lore. So um, it wasn't until I started tweeting about this that people sent me screenshots of books um, and sent me links to the wiki pages to show, you know, in multiple books. Um, Irish news. Now it was done differently in different books because it, it's one of those big extended universes like. Star Wars or anything where lots of different authors get involved. Mm. So it's different in different books. But for at least two or three authors, it was Irish. And for one author, it was just literally Shanukala. Um <laughs> could, you, could you imagine the frustration of trying to speak to someone who only answers in proverbs? <laughs> like, who learned everything they possibly say off off the back of a packet of sugar. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a, it's a, you know, uh, have you got any plans for later on? I can't, I can't imagine. <laughs> that said, though, like, I mean, every time my brother speaks, you do think, is Menica Brish, Bale, Sharon and Vanessa. 
If anybody is listening is not familiar with that, that is uh, almost everybody's favorite chanicle. It's very often that a person's mouth was responsible for breaking their nose, and it's it's wise words. It's wise, wise words. words. Yeah. Wise words. <laughs> um, what, what I mean, what what do you think might be behind? Um, the decision to basically 100% half-ass this. <laughs> they 100% just don't expect to get caught. 100%. They just think, oh, Irish is sort of fantasy. Irish is sort of fairy-ish because fairies are Irish thing. So I'll just use Irish and no one can speak Irish anyway. So it doesn't matter and it'll look cool. Right. And they don't realize that there may not be a lot of us uh, who speak Irish, but we are extremely online. And we can read. <laughs> Most of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So they just don't expect to get caught. That so is it? Is it? Is it just cheaping out? Is it? Do you reckon it's just laziness? That's, or? that's what I imagine for a lot of them. I think there are cases where I think definitely stuff like the Warhammer where it didn't even make a lot of sense um, because it was in space. So it wasn't like you were trying to do an urban fantasy where you know the the elf people really were the two headed on in. All right. So you know what yeah, I mean. So yeah, you're yeah. using Irish. And so you're you're like, not saying well, in this universe the Irish are this or in this universe the Irish language became this or anything. You're no, just it's going, just like, yeah, I need to come up with some bullshit. And I'm, photo- like, I am copy-pasting some stuff that I saw on, like, some Facebook mom's inspirational post <laughs> and I'm just going to put that in my novel and that's it now. Oh my God. And, and yeah, and people get paid to write this shit. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I don't get paid very much as a writer and so sometimes I'm like, hey, you suck at your job. I should have your money instead of you. <laughs> so that would be nice. Yeah, because sci-fi authors are notoriously well paid. <laughs> yeah, well. So, like, our language, obviously obviously, we can't expect people from other cultures who would have no experience of people speaking Irish in their surroundings. In fact, you know, we can't even have too much of an expectation of people in Ireland mm. understanding that Irish is real and people do speak it and it's not some esoteric mythological thing that only happens in books or, you know. So, I mean, how do you impart to people as gently as possible Hey, buddy, that that's not cool, yeah? I don't do it gently anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, by not, I just don't anymore. I did. I tried for a long time because, like I say, I've been in, like, in to fantasy and, and sci-fi and gaming for most of my life. So I've spent most of my life talking to people both in Ireland and, but a lot of them abroad because when you're into, you know, these communities, obviously Ireland's a really small market, so you're mostly, I mean, a lot of the English language market, you're talking to Americans, um, but also some Brits, because, you know, they're there too. And, um, yeah, no, you just can't. It just doesn't work. It, like, the, the, you just need to say no. <laughs> Friend, you wonder, you wonder no. Why, you wonder why you've been made into an authority on the subject now, you know? You, you, you've become so definitive in saying, like, stop this paddywhackery. <laughs> and, and now people are going, oh, is this paddywhackery Okay. Can I do this much paddywhackery? How much paddywhackery can I do, Orla? Yeah, well, like I did, I did preface it with saying entirely my own fault. I did did say that. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I acknowledge my own faults. Um, Yeah, no, but I think because I, you know, I did start by kind of saying, hey, those words mean things. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, but in this context, no, no. No, in all contexts, words mean things. But it is it is annoying. It's 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 really annoying if you speak the language, if you can understand. If you're reading something on a page and you read something, say another Shanukha, like Nihe la naboshti, la naboshti, which for anyone who's not familiar is the day of rain is not a day for children. But if they suddenly say, well, that's actually an ancient spell. <laughs> and, as, and you're going like, no, but, but it's not because I can understand it. Like, yeah. I mean, you might have put it down thinking... 
no one can understand it, but like, God damn it, I use this language every day and that means that the day yeah. of rain is not the day for children. But also, I think it's the gratuitous, like you don't, if you don't, I don't expect every fantasy writer to speak Irish. No, no, God no. You know, I don't expect them to be able to use Irish well. It's like either use Irish well or don't use it. Like you have so many options out there in the world. And there are people who work professionally making fantasy language. Like the whole Conlang, uh, I never know how you're supposed to pronounce that. Conlang is a constructed language. Yeah. yeah. So people work in this professionally. They, they, you know, making fantasy languages is a job that people do. So for people who are unfamiliar with the concept, this is like, for example, I think it was Mark Auckland did the first mainstream constructed language in uh, sci-fi and fantasy when he invented Klingon for Star Trek The Motion Picture. And yeah. we'd be familiar with uh, going way, way back, J.R. Tolkien's extensive work on Elvish, yeah. which... I mean, may or may not have been inspired by Gaelic languages. May Actually, or no. Oh, oh he, okay. he didn't like Gaelic languages very much at all. I know he didn't like them. I know he was on record as saying how much he detested. Yes, he, he did not like how they used, worked. He used to have to come over to what was then UCG as an external examiner and he tolerated the Irish, but he did not like their language. No, he didn't. But so Finnish was a big influence on Elvish. Ah. Um, yeah. And which is why it's so um, weird because so is Finnish. Um, it's a great language, but it's sort of its own thing. Yeah, I think um, I think Garadine um, would would agree with you. <laughs> it's no, very it, much its own thing. Yeah, it's its own little group. Um, but so yeah, I mean, he constructed obviously multiple languages, and it's really interesting that Tolkien is, like, I think people know the main thing that most high fantasy, which is what people call like that real classic, somewhat timeless, sometimes a little bit looking a little Iron Age, sometimes looking a little medieval fantasy that people use with dwarves and elves and everything that is so based on what Tolkien constructed, as people refer to it as high fantasy. He didn't really have very many uh, Gaelic references in that at all. Yeah. It That wasn't really what he was trying for. And it's not really a factor, which weirdly people who emulate him often do. Is is it because it's the easy option? Because goddammit, studying Finnish just sounds so difficult. Yes. <laughs> like Tolkien was way more a linguist than he was a writer. Yeah. Um, and so for him, constructing the languages was like 50% the fun of writing The Lord of the Rings. Okay, so it was actually easier than coming up with all these character names. Like, oh, no, now I have to think, oh, what hair, what hair color has this guy got? Oh, my God. Can I not just invent an entire grammatical case that's unique to this language? Would that not be easier? And in some ways it was. <laughs> uh, there's also, in recent years, Game of Thrones has been incredibly popular. Mm -hmm. And uh, George R.R. R. Martin did some of the TV show as well, had their own linguists working on creating Dothraki. Yeah. And uh, the other languages that I am now ashamed to say I can't remember. No, Dothraki is <laughs> the only one I can remember as well. Yeah. So, uh, thank God, we can both hand in our nerd cards together. Um, <laughs> I never read them. <laughs> Neither of I just watched a TV show. Um, it's great. Like, why are you reading the book? The TV show's done. We did it. We finished it. We finished it. It's done. You know what happens now. Why are you reading? Why are you still reading? What are you? It's definitely going to be a different ending, though. Yeah, it is. It is entirely. Um, I, love, I love historical fiction, and I read books by Bernard Cornwell, who is so... He prides himself on his on his accuracy and it's really, really rewarding to read it because he puts these extensive historical notes at the end of every novel. But unfortunately, they started making a TV show about it. So, I mean, that, I'm so conflicted because I love the TV show. It's really good, but like they're taking so many shortcuts and you're sort of going like, 
I, I'm, I'm totally nearly out. I'm sitting at home watching this with my wife going, well, actually, this is sort of a combination of two battles that happened between 968 and 972. And it's like, oh, no, I'm one of them now. <laughs> No more fun for you. Uh, Well, no, rules make things fun. Uh, (laughs) You really should play more (laughs) D&D. So, like, the the, the constructed languages, people have put an awful lot of effort into these and they've, they've, uh, there's a Klingon dictionary. There is a Mm -hmm. Klingon dictionary. There are more people around the world who speak Klingon than speak Esperanto. So as far as constructed languages goes, it's incredibly successful. Yeah. Um, You can get Lingophone courses for Tolkien Elvish. Wow. Oh my God, that's amazing. Uh, I won't do that because I don't even have enough time to do important stuff in my life. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Learn Elvish. That's, but that's, you have that information in your brain now. I do. It's taking up space. It's pushed out something useful. Some like, treasured <laughs> childhood memory. It's gone. It's gone now, yeah. I can't even remember if I like Cocoa Pops or not, but I know that there's a linguaphone <laughs> a linguaphone course on Elvish. Oh my Christ. Um, so... With that in mind, with those constructed languages being so deep, so deep to the fact that people have created entire grammars and given this world to people that you can go and you can learn this language that you can speak to nobody. Um, well, I mean, okay, it's a bit rich for an affluent Irish speaker to be saying that, but still, it's there and it's We important. only just squeeze Klingon out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just about just about just above, just above Klingon like we won't get too snotty like no 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 okay okay no, I have full, full respect for the what's the Klingon equivalent of the Gaeltacht <laughs> uh, <laughs> a con okay, yeah, oh con conventions we're not gonna we're not gonna get into convention culture oh my god um, the yes yeah, so there are so many constructed languages and people have put so much effort into them like as as, as a consumer of fantasy media as someone who reads the books for fun when you just get to that point where you're reading a book, you're kind of enjoying it, and then all of a sudden somebody's thrown in some half-assed Google Translate Irish as, like, Sildarian, <laughs> the mystical language spoken on the Western Isles. And you look at this and you go, like, how does it make you feel about your, your investment in the story to date? Like, So one series that I was recommended by um, some friends in the States was the Iron Druid Chronicles. Um where the... Going to be upfront and go, not overly familiar with that uh, opus. You're, oh, you're not missing out. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's loads of them. Um, and it uh, roughly follows the story of the last druid in the world, uh, Shunnok or something or other. Oh, God. Yep, yep, no, just write, write it out. Write it out to the end. You're going to want to bite that tongue now. Um, mm. Who lives in Arizona um, with his thing? Irish wolfhound, who mm. he can psychically communicate with. Of course, of course. And his apprentice, whose name is, now wait for this one, Grony Whale. <sighs> That's her real given given name. That's her given name. Right there on a birth cert, apparently. Grony Whale. Can you imagine the, the cruelty of parents to call their child Bald Grace? <laughs> like, See, I don't uh, disagree with the translation of Grony to Grace. Well, it's it's not a direct translation. But even so, Bald Grony is not great. Even cruel. Like, most kids are bald. Like You know what I mean? It's they true. grow out of it. Like, like I was real bald. They grow out of it. Yeah, <laughs> they get hair eventually. Like, don't call your kid Baldy. Don't make the decision on their name. Don't do a follically related name too early. You know? Have you met my son, Toothless Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but he's got teeth. Oh, but he that... didn't. He didn't when I named him. <laughs> so, so many kids are called Fionn because they're blondes when they're little, you know? Oh, yeah. And they all have dark hair. And it's like, you're going to regret that. Oh, like, yeah. Your nice little Aryan baby is going to turn into a typically Irish potato person. <laughs> 
I was I was blonde haired, blue eyed. I had curly blonde hair and blue eyes until I was three, and I'm just delighted my parents didn't call me Fionn because now my name should be Leah. Well, my uh, I was also blonde until I was um, like I don't know, nearly eleven, and I have brown hair now. But um, they really did name me Orla, but not because of my hair because I didn't have any hair till I was two and I did have a name before then so okay yeah Orla the golden princess yeah yeah uh, and not Orla which is to vomit yeah I don't spell it with the father so I get that joke a lot oh I can imagine yeah but like it is it's 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 Orla it's fine yeah. I'm not too, like I don't I would never ever ever tell anyone that they're spelling their name wrong because first of all in very, very, very rare circumstances, do you get to pick your own name? Yeah. So it's not normally not fault. your fault. <laughs> and second of all, language evolves, uh, obviously, and we can take the name Orla as meaning golden princess, with or without the fada, because or, that's just how things go. Because I mean, the fada is only secondary to like you don't have the F H L A I T H in exactly. there either. So. Exactly. So it has evolved as a name. It's a contraction, and that's absolutely fine. So you are not vomit. You are Golden Princess and you're welcome to the fantasy towers that uh, Mother Folklore <laughs> abides in. <laughs> um, so there, there is another element. There's another element to fantasy literature and to gaming and to everything like that that is always the elephant in the room and something that Mother Folklore discusses an awful lot as well. Um, the C word. Yeah. Yeah. Colonialism. Colonialism. Colonialism, not co- Yeah. No, I was I was on board. Um that's the only <laughs> C word I ever talk about. Um yeah, no. It's a massive it's a massive factor. And I think it's one of the things I talked about in terms of trying to make people understand why it mattered. Mm. When I was writing my blog post, I did talk about there are cur- certain tropes that happen for post-colonial cultures, which normally involves the devaluing of language, seeing the language as either something weird and mystical. Um also seeing it as something um, backwards, old-fashioned, belonging to the past, and that happens in a lot of post-colonial cultures. Um, there's also that idea of taking mythological figures and making them seem either hypersexualized or demonic, which when you think about every sexy morrigan you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Um, frequently sexy demon morrigan. Yeah. So, you know, get your twofer. Um, which, which, like, the morrigan... The Morrigan was, I, I mean, in some retellings of the story, in some, it's very difficult to get back to the origin of the Morrigan, but she may have been a triple goddess. Um, and then when she is presented to Cucullin in the stories, in many tellings, it's as the hag or the crone. And yet when we get to graphic novel Cucullin, she's sexy. And for some reason, in the middle of a battlefield, is wearing a very low cut top. Yeah, it's always like, I don't know if you've ever been in like a straight up shit fight but tits out is not the way you want to go <laughs> <laughs> no I always wondered like you know because like I, I do play I do play computer games I don't play a lot of, of tabletop games or RPGs or anything I have played Dungeons and Dragons once and it was it was it was a lot of fun I really really enjoyed it but I'm at the point now where for me it's like golf it's like <laughs> if I go and play it again I will fall in love with it and become Aww. an addict and my yeah. wife will leave me. So, you know, I've got to prioritise my personal relationships over D&D for the time being, but, you know, we'll see. We'll that see. won't last. <laughs> um, my marriage? That's <laughs> No, I that's meant incre- not. It's <laughs> incredibly harsh. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, as someone who plays computer games, which I do, you sometimes look at these, these, um, these women characters and the armor or the clothing that they're given, and you try. I'm trying to look at this, going like, what would the male equivalent of that be? It'd be like a, an armored banana hammock. There is some really great people have done some really great art of like male equivalents of the armor bikini. 
Um, <laughs> the armored bikini, yeah. Yeah, so like obviously... Pointless. <laughs> yeah, the totally pointless armored bikini. But, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is obviously that's a wider issue of misogyny in fantasy and we could be here for like the next seven years talking about that. But it's really interesting, I think, the way that it can get like targeted in specific ways. So when I put the blog post out, I ended up talking to a lot of like American kind of colleagues and friends that are around D&D mostly. That was because that's where I'd like work with. So those were mostly the people I was talking to. And they'd been talking about the issue of D&D especially, but really all sci-fi fantasy is being a very colonial genre in some ways. A lot of what we're talking about, like when we're looking at sci-fi, you know, it is that space exploration is often seen through a really colonial mindset of like, you go and it's ours now. Yeah. And even the stuff that is allegedly critiquing that is, it doesn't really have a lot to say. It's just like, hey, we went here, we, it's ours now, it was colonialism. Oh, that's and that's it. the payoff. Shrug. That's like the payoff. The, the shrug, end. hey, it was colonialism. Oh, like, yeah, I realized we, it was colonialism. I'm not going to do anything about it, but I realized it was colonialism. Yeah. Yeah. Like sad white man, one tear. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, uh, this kind of colonialism, we might be familiar with it when we see Captain Kirk and the boys rocking up to a planet, beam down to the planet find a woman, have sex on the planet, leave your indelible legacy and transport back to the ship and go away. Yeah. Next week, next planet, next hot babe. Yeah. Basically. A little. And and with fantasy, it's often less clear, but there's still this idea of like conquest. And D&D is a really great example of, especially now new editions have combated this a little bit, but the mainly like the main point of the game is you like go places that are not yours you uh, kill a bunch of people who belong to a race you have deemed evil and then you loot their corpses for power so um without dealing without critiquing that at all that's kind of messed up there are there yeah. is the existence of evil races in D. yeah yeah that's right i mean yeah wow I mean, I thought D&D was so progressive because, like, you can play as an orc character and instead of the orcs being the bad guys, they, they can be on... But then I just realised that, yeah, but, like, nobody plays as, like, a little goblin. They're just the guys you kill when you're... when you're. Well, you can play as goblins now as well. Okay. Oh, but, how progressive. Um, how and I've, I play as a little kobold sometimes because I think kobolds are the most fun ever. I don't know what a kobold is. They're, like, is. teeny tiny dragon lizard things. They're, like, the size of a goblin, but they're, like, a little dragon. Wow. And they're real, real weird and paranoid. I like them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, okay, so there the the sheer idea that there are evil races that yeah. the, basically that you're in a Dungeons and Dragons game, you're playing with your friends, you're sitting around the table and the dungeon master says, you turn the corner and you see some I don't know what would say obviously not goblins cuz well, they could no, be. Well, no, no, pretty much in most games goblins are you can assume yeah. are evil. So basically, you, you you see some goblins and you just go like, okay, what do you do? And it's not, I'm going to reason with them. I'm going to, I'm going to see how they're doing. I'm going to say, hey, goblins, what's going Oh, sorry. Do you own this place? Oh, my bad. I thought, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're going to kill them and take their stuff. Yeah. And, and so fifth edition D&D, &D, which came out in um, 2000, well, technically 2014, but mostly commercial in 2015. So we're only like four years in to fifth edition, really. And it has pushed people to... I think examine some of that um, to a certain extent. And I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff coming out. There's been some podcasts like Asians Represent that are dealing really explicitly with um, decolonizing D&D. But I think it's a complicated idea that can you take something that is so fundamentally made that way? Is it possible or even meaningful yeah. to say that you're going to decolonize it? Um, but there are some people doing some really interesting work. And it was interesting to talk to them about how they saw, because there's a lot of like Orientalism 
in fantasy as well. Oh, the which, East is mystical? And yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. And so obviously when they talk about that, I see a lot of similarities, but I'm not like necessarily qualified to talk on that. But it was really interesting to hear people talk. And then, you know, I had a lot of, um, like when I was talking to African-American D&D players, they were talking about, again, what they see as sort of, um, there was like African-American traits given to uh, orcs in some lore. Right, okay. And how that was played around with and how that made them really uncomfortable oh, at various is, yeah, points. Yeah, that's absolutely not cool. Like, yeah. And you're literally, was... literally saying to a race of people, you're not the humans in this game. You're the, you're the others. Like. Yeah, and there was just some stuff going on there. And like, again, this, this is a really big topic. Like racism and fantasy is also a really big, like sexism and fantasy. Very big topic. But I think it was interesting that when I started talking about what was like this really niche little thing, which was just like, I'm just talking about Irish. And, and just the language. Just, just the language. Mostly just the yeah, language, yeah. yeah. Um, how it, the issues that I was kind of raising brought up and, and I ended up talking to these people in this in this way. Um, so I think there's like a lot there uh, and I don't, I don't think there's an easy fix for it. No. So that w- that was going to be sort of, that sort of predicates my next question, which was going to be, is there... Is there a respectful way to do it? Is there a respectful way to co-opt language in in this in this instance? And to go back to the original point, because we're never going to solve misogyny in <laughs> fantasy, uh, not us today in this podcast, in the few remaining minutes we have, hopefully as a society, we can work towards fixing it. Uh, likewise, racism and any form of bigotry uh, and discrimination. But in the context of we have this language, hey guys, you have to realize people do speak it, so you can't just use it willy-nilly. Is there a respectful way to use Irish or Irish-influenced language in your in your fantasy work? Absolutely. I mean, I love, and I think that was the weird thing that came out of this, is people kept being like, oh, you don't want us to ever use Irish. I'm like, no, I love Irish-inspired fantasy. It's literally my favorite thing in the world. Um, just don't be bad at it. I mean, I think, you know. <laughs> but so I, helpful. Yeah, is there a respectful way to use it? Don't be bad at it. Just don't be bad at it. No. <laughs> What I mainly said was like, you need to ask yourself some questions and you need to be able to like answer honestly with yourself. Just like, why? Why Irish? Do you have a good reason why it's Irish? Like, have you, is it just because you thought it was easy? And, you know, is it just because you had access to it and you thought people think this is kind of mystically? Is it just used as like a, as a shorthand to be mystically? Because then that's bad. That's not good writing. It's not just that it's offensive to Irish. It's also just bad writing. And I think, so if you're able to ask yourself like, is it meaningful in this place? If this is meant to, if this world is meant to have any relation to our world, then Irish also exists in that world as a modern language. So wh- how does that fit together? What's, uh, what's the link? Yeah. If, if you're writing this in a modern world or at least something connected to our world, then Irish exists yeah. out there in the world. So you can't basically totally ignore us yeah. and say, in my version of this current Irish world, is only this... Irish is only wizard language. Yeah, because yeah. Ireland, if Ireland exists, then Irish exists. So there are some examples. Uh, there's one uh, we were chatting about earlier. There are some horrendous examples of this, uh, this kind of portrayal of Ireland and the Irish in, in fantasy. Well, you mentioned one that you didn't put in the blog post because you said you didn't know a lot about it, but I have to ask you about it. It's, it's a game called Shadowrun. Yeah, I didn't put it in the blog post because it was not quite, the issue wasn't quite about language yeah. and I didn't necessarily want to jump down a rabbit hole. But yeah, Shadowrun, a really interesting game and it challenges some some of the stuff happening in other parts so, of fantasy. So Shadowrun, as you told me earlier on, is kind of a competitor to Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. You play it with friends around a table and you roll dice to, to reach outcomes. Yeah, and it's got a lot of the same fantasy races. So it's got elves, it's got, um, I think instead of orcs, it has trolls. I can't remember. Um but it's got, got a slightly sci-fi, cyberpunk 
um, kind of vibe to it. Basically, I think the main lore is because it was written back in the 80s. So 2011 was like way in the future when they first wrote it. So this, <laughs> oh, I love that shit. This, like, <laughs> this metagene thing resurfaces. I'm going to get pilloried for not getting this right. Uh, resurfaces me, in 2011. The, the, the Venn diagram of Shadowrun players and motherfuckers. I found one it? during the oh, tweeting. Yeah? I found one who does both. Oh, um, amazing. If you're listening, you know, <laughs> if you're you, listening, you know who sorry. you are. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this this happened. So it's basically an alt history. Yeah. Except that it was the future when they first started writing it, and so then elves are one of these creatures that these these new meta humans or meta species or whatever they're called. I can't remember. And um, there was quite a few of them in Ireland. Right. Of course. Um, yeah. Um, no, they were they were all over, and the way that that happened was also a little dodge. So like the elves that came out of Africa had like fur and were slightly more animalistic and the ones in the Amazon had like green spots and it was a whole thing but anyway that's again so so much going on there but yeah so so to the portrayal of Ireland yeah back to Ireland Um, so basically what happened was uh, because the elf birth rates were unusually high in this version of Ireland uh, as of course they were um, they led to the formation of and you know brace yourselves for this one the Elf IRA, <laughs> led by, uh, I think it was um, Liam Spike Baby O'Sullivan. Oh my God. Was the leader of the, and there was an official and a provisional Elf IRA, by the way. There was a split, because classic. Um, so wait, 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 let me just get back to this. So we, we, we in this game, we the Irish, the yeah. Elf Irish, yeah. uh, have incredibly high birth rates, presumably because we don't use elf condoms when we're having elf sex. One assumes. But what was really interesting. Elf Catholics or something. Is the Elf IRA did lead to the reunification of Ireland? Well, up but, the Elfra. <laughs> however, the Elf IRA decided that in this reunification they would rename Ireland. Oh yeah. What do you think? What, what do you think they named it? Elfland. No, 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 it's better. I don't know. I'm, I'm cringing. Tiernanog. Oh Jesus. Oh. I swear no. to God, Ireland is called Tiernanog in, oh. in the Shadowrun games, which is, by the way, sci-fi. Like it's yeah. very important to bear that that people have like cybernetics and stuff in the Elf IRA. Cybernetics, but no condoms. Apparently, that's um. And they decide to name the country Tiernanog. Yeah. All right. Are, are there any good examples that like won't like break my brain of uh, the use of the Irish language or the Irish people? In... There was that great episode of Buffy where the spellbook had um, oh, a piece of Newark yes. about a new bus lane. That was that was utterly fantastic. <laughs> that was perfect Irish because they literally obviously copied and pasted it from like some local paper from a in Dublin Irish bus announcement or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. like well, I didn't even know Dublin bus did their press releases in Irish, but. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Amazing. And they're magical. Dublin bus issue magical press releases. Well, a new bus lane now is... It's pretty magical. That's pretty fantasy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> before <laughs> before we wrap up, we always like to ask guests what, what's their, what's their favourite Irish word. Do you have a favourite Irish word? That is a very tough question. Um, but I think probably in an olive. In and allu, in and allu, the Irish for inhalation. But it can also kind of mean inspiration. So mind blown. Yeah, that's incredible. I did a big well, sort of aspiration, like there. something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like the word aspiration in English can kind of mean to. It means about breathing, but it yeah. also means like a goal or, yeah. or something that ins- like inspires you and, and drives you forward. That you can use that in Irish as well. And I always like that idea of like a kind of uh, something that would inspire you, but also that literally makes you kind of breathe in. Wow. Um, so I always like that word. That's fantastic. I, and I kind of, in an olive, even saying it, you kind of raise the chest a little bit and it kind of puffs you up a little bit. Yeah, beautiful one. Um, if anybody wants to sort of get uh, 
an introduction into the worlds of fantasy, into the worlds of, of sci-fi or fantasy that has a kind of an Irish or a Celtic tint. Would you have any any recommendations for them? I know you're you're a big Dungeons and Dragons fan, you're a Dungeons and Dragons yeah. player, but is there is there anything else? Um well there's a lot of really great contemporary Irish um fiction that is fantasy based like um a perfectly preventable deaths by Deirdre Sullivan came out recently that had some really interesting stuff in it. Um, very kind of spooky and messed up, but in a good way. Amazing. Um, I think it's like looking at Irish authors. There's a lot of like there's a good community of Irish fantasy writers that are putting out good stuff. Um, the last one's Left Alive. Oh, cool. Um, by Sarah Davis Goff is also. I'm going to get her name wrong as well. <laughs> no, no, I think that that, that was right. Really, yeah, and there's some. I know there's some really really good stuff being written by people like in the kind of the in the murky grey area between young adult fiction and sci-fi um, Sarah Maria Griffin is writing some great stuff yeah, at the moment that's true. she's superb so was, yeah, there's, um, there's, there's, Other Words for Smoke Other Words for Smoke that was yeah, what I'm yeah, of. yeah and Lost and Found Parts um, fantastic books obviously if you're listening in and you are a a games writer or a fantasy writer and you want to get your handle on Irish mythology and do it right I mentioned it earlier on the pod um, Fireside by Kevin C. Olihan is a podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network that retells Irish folklore and mythology. So at least you might get the pronunciations right because that would be half the battle. And as Orla says, if you want to use Irish, I mean, there is a way to do it respectfully. Don't be bad at it. Just don't be bad at it. Um, <laughs> so Orla, where can people find you and uh, anything you're working on at the moment that we want to keep an eye out for? Um, yeah, so you can find me at Naturally Orla on Twitter and I'm always on Twitter, so you can always find me there. And um, I am actually working on an Irish uh, D&D show called Dublin and Dragons. Um, we did a little test season. We're, we're going to make a new campaign starting in a, in a couple of months. And um, yeah, it is set in a fantasy version of Ireland um, where it's not very, you know, we don't use a lot of Irish language or, or mythology, but we do little, we have a little, little stuff in there. You know, we have the, uh, we have the elves of the fantasy Brits, so... <laughs> There's a little bit of colonialism going on. It's the fun. elves are never not at it. The elves are never not at it. Great. So now we can work on the inevitable crossover mother folklore actual play yeah. uh, offshoot. Oh, that reminds me. Um, Niall did a really great version of the rules to D&D and all the classes and everything. Oscuelga, so it's um, Buntrorkta D&D. And he has them up uh, online. And online, you can get them on his Twitter feed on, at Iroki, uh, yeah. I-R-O-K-I-E. And there he did a beautiful job. Yeah. Really, really cool. That's fantastic. It was a great read, actually. I did, I did read that. Orlin Nigul, thanks a million. Thanks. Motherfuckler is a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network and comes out every Friday. You can send comments, queries, suggestions, feedback and questions to motherfuckler at headstuff.org. Thanks, as always, to Brian for producing and to Kirsten for the amazing art stuff. Don't miss Mother Folklore Live as part of the Cork Podcast Festival in the Spalpeen Faunuk in Cork City, the real capital by, on October 13th. For tickets and more information... Follow Cork Podcast Festival on Twitter. And we'll be taking part in the Dublin Podcast Festival 2019 on the 17th of November. Join us in the Grand Social for a double header with the amazing Irish Passport Podcast presented by Headstuff Studios. Follow the Dublin Podcast Festival on Twitter or go to dublinpodcastfestival.ie. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Derek never forgets to let guests plug things and I'm sort of going like you know no I, I'm finished with you <laughs> you can <Why>? now <laughs>
We're done. We're done. We're done.